Coming Up is a podcast brought to you by the dedicated and diverse volunteers at 3CR. Just a quick message before you get there. For the month of June, we're asking listeners to donate to the station to help us keep going. In 2023, we're asking our community to stay tuned, stay radical. We rely on the generous donations of community to survive. Go to 3cr.org.au slash donate and show your support for community-owned and community-run media. Thanks for your support and happy listening. 3CR is community-owned and operated, and because of its subscriber base... Coach, we're ready to play. My name's John A. Tate, and I'm back in town after two weeks on the Indian Ocean. How good. Welcome back, John. James, you did well carrying carrying the whole thing last week by yourself. Yes, I did my best, and that's all we can do here that's on the James Sporting Tate Record, 3CR. It's just moment. past four o'clock. James Tate here, and we've got an amazing guest in today, uh, Megan Ponsford, author, doctor, did your PhD as well. Well done. <laughs> um, but first, uh, we'll just get into an acknowledgement of country. So the Sporting Record would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional land custodians of the lands on which we broadcast this program on and on which much of our local sport is played. We also like to acknowledge the incredible contribution of First Nations athletes to this country's sporting life and we pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Now, M. Collard's uh, still up in God's Own Country in Newcastle, uh, following on from the wedding that she went to. Um, hey, I'm going to sneak in two quick things, because I'll probably not get to say them later, because we've got a great topic to get into. Uh, the Giro d'Italia has started. Yes, it we has. We can talk about that next week. Um, and on Sunday at 2 o'clock, I'm uh, taking over the rotations program and doing a tribute to my friend Broderick Smith, who passed away last week. Legend of Dingo's fame. Yeah. So let's I jump into it. Opened up my Facebook page, and uh, here, here it was. Broderick had passed away. Mm. Anyway, so I'll do that show on Sunday. That's what I'm going to say about that. But today, we're going to focus on cricket. And uh, I, I was pointed towards a... A book called The 1935 Australian Cricket Tour of India. If you go to the record books, I don't know if you find much about the 1935 Tour no, of India. No, you, you really don't. Um, in Wisden, it only appears as kind of a mere footnote. Mm. So they, you know, Wisden didn't really dedicate much space or time to, the, to this first tour of India, which in my opinion de- bele- um, deserves far more attention than it's received thus far. And uh, so that's what we want to dig into today, Megan. Great. Thanks for coming in. Oh, no, it's great to be here. It wasn't far for you to come, I believe. <laughs> You're a local. No. <laughs> but anyway, so why doesn't anyone know about this tour of Australian cricketers going to India in 1935? Well, I think, uh, first of all, it wasn't an official test tour. So it didn't fall under the auspices of being called a test tour, despite the fact that India was already a test-playing nation at the time, mm. as was Australia. So the purpose of this tour 
was to help prepare the Indian team to tour England, to do a test tour tour of England the following year in 1936. Okay. So the, really the Australians were there to kind of um, help, help team selection and just give some advice to, to how the Indian team could kind of, you know, prepare themselves to, to go to England the following year. And who invited the Australians over? Okay, it was the Maharaja of Patiala, who's a fabulously fascinating gentleman, <laughs> uh, one of the wealthiest gentlemen in the world at the time. Wow. Uh, and he was a great, great, great cricket supporter, as were a number of the Indian royal families. Um, he privately paid for the the tour and all the, the um, Australian cricketers were paid. So it was a professional tour, which already upset the, you know, the amateur game of cricket at the time. So the establishment here in Australia... Were they all on board with it? Look, honestly, I've gone through all the record books to look at all the negotiations between the Maharaja and his um, right-hand man, who was a fascinating fellow called Frank Tarrant, who was an Australian cricketer that never played test cricket for a number of reasons. But he um, had done pretty well playing for Fitzroy, and for Victoria back right. in the back in the early twentieth century, um, and then suddenly decided that there wasn't enough money playing cricket in Australia, so went off off to England in the early twentieth century. Some deeper digging round, um, I actually found some material which suggests he was also. Uh, escaping a court case, an impending Ooh. court case. <laughs> wow, yes, okay. so he was a really charismatic, um, ambitious mover and shaker, I guess. Um, yeah, who really, who really wanted the best for himself. So went to England, uh, played, stayed there for a number of years, and then found his way to India. Uh, after meeting Ranji, Ranjasinji, who was the, you know, the, the great English Indian born cricketer. Um, and he, during the First World War, he said, look, there's always money in India. So come and see what you can do with helping our various royal families to build cricket and even sort of um, advising on, you know, the laying of pitches and that kind of thing. Wow. So he went over as kind of cricket expert. He also got involved in um, the selling and buying of horse stock. So he bought uh, horses for a number of the royal families for for polo and for horse racing. And again, the money in that was just immense. So um, he made an awful lot of money that way. Now, the official Australian cricket team at the time had just come through uh, body line. Exactly, which, which, I, which is my whole kind of premise in, in my book. Um, is that it's really looking at the triangular relationship between India, Australia and England. Mm -hmm. And, you know, both Australia and England and and India, sorry, were kind of somewhat trying to separate themselves or separate the intrinsic close nature of of their relationship with England. That's my argument anyway. Those players were Bradman and Bill Woodfull and Bill Ponsford, maybe related to you. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Yeah, Bill's my grandfather, so my father's father. But none of those guys were on this tour? No, 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 they weren't. Um, When um, Tarrant was arranging this trip, he kind of promised the likes of all those players 
uh, <laughs> you know, to, to help sell the sell the idea to the Maharaja. And I think the Maharaja also imagined that there'd be some money back in gate takings if they got, you know, the great Sir Donald and Bill Ponsford, et cetera, et cetera, to go. But in the end, the um, Australian authorities forbade them from going. Wow. And I kind of understand it bec- in the case of Bradman because Bradman was still playing test cricket, whereas my grandfather had retired from test cricket and from Sheffield Shield. So he no longer had any contractual you know, ties with the Australian Board of Control, yet they didn't want him to go. Wow. So they ended up with a whole lot of lesser-known players, but there was the great um, Jack Ryder, who was captain of the team, Charlie McCartney, who was vice-captain, and a number of other you know, ex-test-playing players. But there were also a lot of uh, younger members who... Um, were sort of up and coming players who were no longer who so who 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 are not yet employed to play state cricket. Mm. So that's and that's how I got onto this story. Sorry, I know you, if you're going that's to right. ask me that next, because um, one of those players was a young yeah. fast bowler called Tom Leather. That's correct. Who may yep. also be related. Yes, to you. yep. So Tom Leather was my grandfather's brother-in-law. <laughs> so Tom was married to my grandfather's sister. Um. And he had played a little bit of cricket, but nothing, not, 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 didn't reach particularly high heights. Uh, but he also, he actually had, had played um, VFL and then later got into VFA football after, mm-hmm. after this tour. Uh, but he was just absolutely thrilled to be invited. <laughs> and he left an archive of material that he'd loaned to the Melbourne Cricket Club. Ah. And that had been in the archives of the of the Melbourne Cricket Ground for about twenty years, and he died during that time. His wife had died, and his daughter had died. So I actually went to work for the club, and they said, "Look, we've got this archive of material, and it doesn't belong to us. Do you want to have a look at it?" And I really didn't know that mm. he that he'd gone on this tour. And certainly, when he was alive, I hadn't. But I was I was pretty young when he died. But I just wish that, you know, he'd lived a bit longer and yes. I could have asked him all these oh, questions yeah. because by the time I started researching the, the tour, there were no living members left. So, mm. which is always a problem. It's always a problem. Yeah. 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 But hence your research. Yes. Now, I, I'm a bit statistically minded oh, and, and I'm a bit competitive. Oh, no. <laughs> so, I want to, so I've worked my way through the book. Yes. But I don't know who won the series. Okay. Okay. There were four unofficial tests yep. played, India won one, Australia won. Sorry, India won two, Australia won two. Ooh, a draw. So it was a draw. Hello. Yeah, yeah. Even though they did play 23 games oh. and, um, and most of the games were won by the Australian team, um, the possible thought behind their two losses was it was a really long, hard tour. They were travelling here, there and everywhere by train. It mm. was pretty primitive conditions. They all complained about the food. They all got sick. Wow. You know, Arthur also, of course. one of the younger players, he ended up in St George's Hospital for two and a half months. So he missed <laughs> most of the games. I think he played oh, something Arthur. like the first five games and then they, they actually met him again. The players met him again in Bombay on the way out from the oh, country. Right. And apparently he, you know, he lost 
you know, something like, you know, 20% of his weight and was a very, very, very sick young man. So how strong was the Indian team? Were they their test players? They, 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 a lot of the players ended up playing England the following year, but I don't, right. if, I don't know how, if you know about that 36 tour to England. No. Okay, that, that was the third test encounter between um, England and India. And there'd been, prior to that, there'd been one played, a test series played in England, a test series played in India, and this was when the um, Indians were going back to England in 36. That was an absolutely disastrous tour because um, it was uh, captained by Vizzy Anagram, known as Vizzy, who was a, a royal who actually played as well and wow. had, I think it was something, a test average of two or something. It was supposedly <laughs> a batsman. Um, and it was just a really disastrous tour and there was a whole lot of communal kind of issues and there's a, some train of thoughts sort of suggesting that it was the English really creating these animosities between players. Um, but when they – and one of the, their really famous players, Amanath, was actually sent home He was because of, of he was um, ill-disciplined, so he was kind of sent home during the tour. And that was just crazy because he was their only – he was their best – definitely oh. their best player. And there's sort of some, some thought that the English authorities used that as justification for, like, if they can't manage their own – if this country can't manage its own cricket team, how are they going to manage their own country? Mm. So it was kind of – Put forward as a bit of a anti, you know, independence kind of wow. thought. And I don't know if that's true or not. I don't mm. know if that was just gossip or too much creative license. I don't know. So there's a lot of uh, uh, parallels, isn't there, with uh, what we refer to as the Packer series? Oh, ab- absolutely. Unofficial yep. tests. Yep. Best players in the world. Yep. Pretty close to it. And. Um, there's there's been talk that the statistics from the Packer series should be included in players' yes, actual yeah, stats. Yeah. Cricket's a statistics yeah. mad sport, isn't yeah. it? Well, it was really interesting, even with um, the Australian authorities when they were leaving the country, because obviously the the players from New South Wales caught the boat down to Victoria, then Victoria went to Adelaide, then Adelaide, Perth, and then <laughs> then off to Sri Lanka. And that's the way that's the way boats always went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And usually in each city you'd have a grand welcome by the cricket authorities and a grand farewell. And they kind of got a lukewarm kind of um, greeting in Adelaide. But they, but when they got to Perth, they were just completely shunned by the authorities. So they had mm. to organise their own, you know, wel- welcome to WA and farewell to, from, from WA. So that they really, the Australian authorities were very, very, very lukewarm about it happening. And again, even you know when I was saying before about they they had no financial involvement in the tour whatsoever, wow. yet they could somehow control who could go on the tour, what the tour could be called, and there was because there was an official um, Australian Test series taking place in South Africa at the same time that my tour was happening okay. happening in India, and so therefore the the team couldn't be called the Australian Cricket Team because there didn't want to be any confusion that it mm-hmm, was an mm-hmm. authorised authorised to, um, wow. team. So, Well, that's the nuts and bolts of it. Mm. Um, and obviously it's, uh, it's a story worth bringing to light because no one really knows about it. But there's probably some more important issues that you dug up about it as well, which mm. we might get into after we have a little bit of yes, a Yes, after the break. Yeah. Let's do it. 
Enjoy the splendor of Ripponlea Estates Gardens at the Botanica Festival, featuring an open-air market, plant and garden book sale, as well as freshly baked scones with jam and cream. Join a garden tour, visit the mansion, or enjoy the various displays. Botanica is made possible by the city of Glen Ira. The Botanica Festival on Mother's Day, Sunday, May the 14th, between 10am and 3pm. For more information, go to ripponlee.com.au. Ripponlee Estate is owned and managed by the National Trust of Victoria, a 3CR supporter. Justice Commission is the first formal truth-telling inquiry into injustice experienced by First Peoples in Victoria. From Thursday, April 27 to Friday, May 12, Uruk is holding public hearings to question Victorian Government Ministers, Senior Bureaucrats and Chief Commissioner of Victoria Police about injustice against First Peoples in the child protection and criminal justice systems. You can watch the hearings online or make a submission at yurukjusticecommission.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Okay, we're back. We're here with uh, Megan Ponsford talking about the 1935 Australian-India test series that no one really knows about. And, well, it wasn't really an official test series anyway, but... uh, Gosh, the Australian it's, authorities would have hated you saying that, yeah, you know, make, know. making that slip. I know, but this is 3CR. We're, we're <laughs> okay. radical here. Okay. We're radical. Yeah. We'll take the radical view of yeah. it. And, who, and who, who cares? As were these bunch of players that went, by the way. They were, yeah. they, were, they were pretty radical. They were pretty atypical cricketers. They weren't the kind of cricketers that, um, that, that were usually selected for a team. So some of them may have been good enough to play in the official test team, but maybe for other reasons were overlooked. Look, I, I believe so. I believe so. The fellow I was talking about before who got very sick, he was um, Arthur Allsop. He uh, was an excellent player and he's got all, if you're interested in statistics, you should check him out because he had great statistics. Um, and he was never quite sort of of cricket class. So there's one story, I don't know if it's, if it's true or not, um, but it's a great story anyway about how he couldn't get a game in New South Wales and mm. thought the Victorians might be a bit more egalitarian or a <laughs> bit more um, even-handed, so walked to Melbourne to try to get a game he down to here. Melbourne. Yep, that's, that's, what, that's what I've been told. So, <laughs> yeah, and he came from a bit of a, a quite a humble background and I don't think was ever really given an opportunity pretty much because of that. Yeah. So when the, um, when the team left for, for – or when the team were on the boat going to India, I think that Frank Tarrant spent a lot of the time teaching them how to hold their, hold, hold their fish knife properly and you know, that kind of thing. But it says a lot for him that he overlooked uh, other biases and chose a team that he felt were worthy and players that – needed to go. Well, it was funny because he actually, I mean, he had difficulty actually getting the team. After after promising the Maharaja, <laughs> Ponsford and Bradman and Woodfall, et cetera, et cetera, he had problem actually getting 15 players together. So for that reason, there was, you know, Bert Ironmonger, who was 53. 
so turning 54. Wow. Um, you know, and even really interestingly, um, McCartney, he hadn't played for a very, very, very long time. And again, I tried to look into why had he retired from cricket, then suddenly decided to, you know, pick up his bat and ball once, once again. And there was kind of, you know, PTSD because he was First World War. Um. So he hadn't played for a very long period of time. And I think, you know, the Maharaja was absolutely delighted when they found out that Charlie McCartney, because he had been a, you know, a, a great player, mm. that, that, he, that he went on the tour. So they toddled off to India, probably pretty naive, were they, about Incred- conditions incredibly and naive. Indian culture and yeah. and all that? What did they learn? How did they well, go? Well, again, there's a whole Socially. lot of... Oh, look, honestly, they, they had, as I said, Tarrant had to tell them, had to educate them on how to hold a fish knife, how to speak to various different people because they were, they were meeting, you know, not just the... Indian royals, but also the, 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 the British Raj who, you know, all were used to 16-course dinners. And, and one of the fabulous things in Tom's archive of material is the menus. And that's they, wow. I've, I've spent so long actually looking at, you know, trying to research these menus because they're all just absolutely gorgeous-looking objects, all kind of gold, you know, gold, and even like the, the sort of the Art nouveau kind of um, font is just Absolutely beautiful. Um, but trying to work out – and I'm also really interested in actually um, in what they did eat and what they did drink. So first of all, I know they drank an awful lot of alcohol um, and they were always kind of being told off by Tarrant, you know, right. who was a, the biggest um, you know, imbiber himself. So I don't quite know what, how he was qualified to reprimand them. <laughs> but I know on the night before the test series, it was kind of, come on, boys, go to bed. And I always kind of wonder how, um, you know, Ironmonger, age 54, felt being called a boy, you know, off to yeah. bed. He <laughs> um, was a spin bowler, so spin yeah, bowlers yeah, can yes. uh, keep on playing forever, can't yes. they? Yes, it's yeah. a legacy of spin yeah. bowlers. Uh, um, <laughs> but anyway, so it was that the tour was just full of very, very, very high-end events and there was, you know, the... Um, the races in Bom- in Calcutta, there was the governors, you know, this and the, that, and they were always being presented to to you know to the the the, the creme creme de la creme of each of each kind of city wherever they went. Um, and I remember in I, quite late in my research, I I got in contact, or I, the writer family got in contact with me after there was an article in one of the local newspapers, and I tried to contact them, and I. And I had difficulty doing so, so they actually reached out to me, which was really nice. Great. And their archive of material is absolutely excellent. Yeah. And unlike a lot of the archives, it was incredibly well kept, incredibly orderly. And I think it was a little bit, a little bit like like their grandfather or like like Ryder himself. It was all very kind of um, meticulous, I must mm, say. Mm, mm. Um, but he kept all his letters, whereas a lot of that he'd, that he'd written home and also letters that he'd received from his family in India. And at one stage he writes about, you know, to his family about, you know, all the invitations that they'd got. And he said, we, we, we've, he said it was when they arrived in Calcutta and he said, oh, there's, you know, 500,000 British here, and I think we've got five hundred thousand invitations to events, and you know, we won't be able to we won't be able to do it all. Um, yeah, so the, the the social life on tour 
um, was equally important, if not more so than the mm. because because I really think it was you know it was a diplomatic kind of mission. I, mm. I, I really believe that because, as I said before, the they were, both countries were trying to lessen their you know intrinsic links on with with Britain. Um, and we're you know, questioning things like, you know, well, really, should we send all these servicemen off to war who are going to be killed in the First World War and then after that the Second World War? And they're really questioning the commitment to, to the mother country. Um, so I think that the Maharaja, again, was very aware of that. And I really think it had a quite a political kind of... Um, I'd say motivation, but you know, political input into this tour. Mm. The uh, the subtitle of the book is "Breaking Down Social and Racial Barriers," and here on the Sporting Record, we we often loud sport for how, what it can do for communities. Yes, social, racial, cultural, um, breaking down those down people coming together. Um, this is quite an early instance of you know two different cultures coming together playing sport. Yes, cricket in particular. Um, what what do you think the legacy of this first tour is? Well, look, so I'm going to, before I talk about the legacy, I'm going to just mention um, Hunter Hendry wrote a manuscript mm. and about the tour. And again, it was interesting because that was written, he wrote it in the 70s, so sort of shortly before his death. And I do think it's somewhat interesting the difference between reporting in th- in thirty concurrent in the thirties concurrent mm. to the tour taking place and having the luxury of hindsight and looking back about sort of what happened with Indian independence over that period of time, but he writes about going and staying with an Indian family, and he said in the beginning he was really sort of affronted because they were all put up. They're either put up in the fancy hotels, and if the smaller cities didn't have fancy hotels, they were put up by, you know, the British Raj. So, so that they were put up by, you know, the the, the head of the railways, who was some you know, yeah. poncy wow. English guy, whatever, whatever. And he talks about having going and staying with an Indian family, and how on the first day of the the the, the test, he was having breakfast or the unofficial test. He was having breakfast with them, and he said to the boys oh, well, I'll, I'll see you at the game today. So the gentleman who was – the family he was staying with had two young, two young children. And they said, oh, no, sir, we're not allowed wow. to go into the ground. We're not allowed to go into the members. And with, whether this is true or not, Hendry writes that he went – took the boys to the ground and said, if I'm – if you're putting me up to stay with them – I certainly want them to be able to come yes. to the ground. Oh, wow. And again, I, I I question the veracity of that somewhat, but I think the sentiments were, exactly. were, were, were kind of right. Yeah. And there's a you know a lot of examples of that, and especially led by um, Tarrant's egalitarian kind of ways. Like Tarrant, um, you know, refused going to events where where Indians weren't invited or allowed to go. And also there was some one event in Karachi where they actually, um, the Indians were charged to go and the Australian team were, were let in gratis. So he said, we, we, don't, th- we don't think that that goes well with the, the, the policy or the, the sentiment of, of the tour. So, and the legacy, you got back to that legacy question. Um, look, it's certain. It's funny because it, it, 
I don't think tours to India have been like that. Mm. I mean, for years following India, touring India wasn't like that and in more in recent years. And I've actually just come back from, from the, the test in Delhi um, where there was, yeah, I sort of met a few of the Australian players, et cetera, et cetera. And they all, they all you know, express some interest in this, but I don't really know if they were or not. So doesn't answer your question, sorry. Ah. That was a bit of avoiding the question, but anyway. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good by me. Yeah, okay. So we're coming up to time. Um, what we've been doing the last few weeks to head our programs, and I'm sorry to do this to you, Megan, but yeah. we're going to play the Essendon theme song. Oh, no. We've been going into ja- the early jazz versions ah. of these anthems. So we think there should be a jazz round. <laughs> Where they play all the themes in a jazz I style. I think so too. Because that's, wow. how, that's how they all started. That, that's it was jazz was big at the time when they wrote wow. these. So we've got. Um, we better just find out if if we've sparked interest in people listening. How can they read more yes. about the story? Um, well, my book. This is the 1935 Australian Cricket Tour of India, breaking down social and racial barriers. Or there's another book called The Has Beens and Never Will Bees. Um, a Boy's Own Adventure of Australian Cricket and the Raj. Yeah, there's a title. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming in, Megan. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming in, Megan. This has been wonderful. And to send you out, we're going to play the Essendon theme song <laughs> in a beautiful jazz version. If I hadn't known you were a Demons fan, I would have brought the Demons one. We'll play Demons for you next week. Good, I'll, I'll listen in. Okay. So this is on a beautiful vinyl 45 in studio. Let's listen to the crackle and take it out. See the 